welcome to the Geek Sweat Podcast. We watch, watch films to, to save you, you hassle. It's another podcast with a filmmaking twist just for you. I am TJ and we'll be bringing you hot topics in the film industry. Inspiration interviews with IMDb listed filmmakers, review sweat on online series as they stream, trailer talk on upcoming feature films and cult TV perspectives on classic shows worth revisiting. Sharing the frame with me today are White Falcon. Hi guys. King Dom. Hello. And Cody. Hi. Between your ears and our voices, we will take up this opportunity to make the most of our podcast technology. Today we are recording on new special microphones and sound mixed by our new sound engineer, EZE. So EZE will be sound mixing for us. We're also projecting on the Optoma in full HD and on Toshiba PCs. And we are recording live and direct from Ithaca House. To begin this podcast, I'm going to try something a little bit different. We are going to try and feed you with quotes from films and then you can guess or find out what the answer is by the end of the podcast. So I'm going to try a new one today. So today's quote is going to be, we're going to need a bigger boat. Oh, tricky. Now, we are coming back to one of our special presenters, which is Cody and our continuous special. <laughs> because you know what that means. I was leading you into the thing that you do, your special thing. So, um, our impresario and expert on all things Doctor Who. So, welcome back, Cody. Hi. Hi. Special welcome. Oh, good. Yeah. How have you been since uh, the last expression of the Fourth Doctor and telling us about Tom Baker? That was a while ago now, it seems. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was good. Yeah, fine. How does it feel for you as a, like a Doctor Who fan revisiting these Doctors for like people who don't know about him? Um, a bit terrifying. Yeah? Yeah, because I don't know. I get things. I should apologise. People who might be listening to this, I've got a few things wrong over the episodes, which is kind of what happens when you're doing this like on top of your head. I tried to do it reading off papers the earlier couple of episodes, but it just did not work. So I'm just doing it off the top of my head basically now. So if I do make a mistake, I do apologise and, you know, just don't be nasty to me in the street. I think the Doctor <laughs> Who community have forgiven you. Uh, but I think a lot of people who are interested in Doctor Who just probably want to talk about it anyway. I mean, I would say I'm the lay person who mainly watches Doctor Who at Christmas specials and during the summer. So I feel like I'm being educated by this as well. So um, I, n- I never see any episodes. You've never seen an episode of Doctor Who? So did wow. Doctor Who ever make it to Hungary? Uh I don't think so. I don't know. Really? I don't know. But it's passed you by until now. <laughs> You've never heard of Doctor Who until we did this show. I, I heard it. <laughs> I heard it before, uh, but I never seen any episodes. I mean, I don't think Not so. Not even was one? It? No. Wow. So names like Sylvester McCoy, Joe McGann, Christopher Jack Eccleston. Paul, Paul, Paul McGann. Paul McGann, him <laughs> as well. They mean nothing to you? No. Wow. That's crazy. Isn't We're gonna have to, we'll have to like drag you to see an episode of Doctor Who. Do you know what? This feels like we should be creating an episode about things that Akosh hasn't seen. Almost like I've never seen Star Wars. We need to know what Western culture and British TV shows are not making its way over (laughs) to Homely Hungary. Yeah. 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 We'll do that. I have a lot of things, I think. You look terrified. (laughs) Yes. 
So just wait and see what we've got in store for you. <laughs> So, uh, King Don, what do you know about the Fifth Doctor? Well, Weasley, I've got a slight theory about Doctor Who, which it may be way off base and Stephen might put me right, but Mm. you can see the picture of Peter Davidson right up there. So my theory about Doctor Who is lots of Doctors have a style that is from about 40 to 50 years previous to the show. So the first Doctor Mm. from the 60s had an Edwardian look, or the first two or three had Edwardian looks. And then... More recently, there's obviously Christopher Eccleston, who had a 60s mod look, and then David Tennant was like... No, actually, thinking about it, Eccleston was the rocker, and yeah. Tennant was the mod. Because Eccleston had the leather the, the jacket, jacket and the short yeah. hairstyle. Right, and then there was Tennant, who had the suit and the Converse trainers, which is like a mod look. And then, yeah. even to the present day, Roger Jodie Whittaker, she looks like she's like a 70s TV presenter. She looks like she should be <laughs> presenting Rainbow. Yeah, she does. So, you know, the doctors are always 40 to 50 years previous to their incarnation, which means that in the 80s, they were in the 1930s. And Where everyone looked like a cricketer and more vegetables on their lapels. But it is a, like a 1930s inspired costume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the 1930s were, for some reason, quite big in the 1980s. Think about the other TV series they had then, like Poirot, which we've talked about before, mm-hmm. and Jeeves yep. and Worcester as well, yeah. which... I think started in the 80s or early 90s. So there was definitely something cultural. And then two Doctors later with Sylvester McCoy, he also had quite a 1930s inspired look, didn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with that, yeah. Yeah. Had had you thought about that before? (laughs) No, no, yeah. I mean, I've always sort of just characterised them as Edwardian. They're all all sort of, apart from Christopher Eccleston, kind of... There's a, there's an, always an Edwardian kind of um, uh, aspect to their costume. Why is well, it? Well, why well, is well, it I mean, the fourth. I thought it like started the Edwardian. The fourth is more it's... kind of bohemian, so he's got this kind of maybe like late Victorian kind of look, where or, or maybe Victorian look, where he's kind of you know with the deer, he wears deer stalker hat sometimes, and so he's and he looks a lot like the um the there's a painting by Le Lautrec. Which is actually what Tom Baker's costume was um, based on, which um, was painted in well, Paris in the eighteen eighties. So that's um, Tom Baker's costume. Interesting. Which I mean, is a good segue into because obviously Peter Davison he took over from the man who um, probably the most famous Doctor of them all, and probably will be for a good while. The mad yeah. doctor. Yeah, yeah, Tom Baker. So he had a lot of responsibility. And I think like um I um I explained last time, um Tom Baker's last season, um, they brought in a whole new production team, they had new titles, the doctor got a a, a costume rather than an outfit with question mark um uh question marks on the uh the powers of his shirt. Okay. And um, you know, it started to get more kind of the doctor is a you know, he becomes more of a superhero in the 80s, mm. which isn't particularly what Doctor Who fans wanted. I've, I've talked before about fans, and fans are pretty united up to about 1975, 1976. And Is the superhero thing like a coincidence because, like, Superman was literally coming out in the cinemas in 1979? No, 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 no. Wow, yeah, okay. Yeah, no, that's a good point. It might be. It's more that the Doctor started as a traveller, and the first two, three, four Doctors 
world travelers. But mm. after that, it starts to be that the doctor goes to places to fight. Yeah. Evil. You know, it's more. He, he's not just a traveler. He's more who, who, who gets um, who ends up in these kind of crazy situations. He's actually sort of goes looking for it. And in the new series, posits the theory that it's the TARDIS. The TARDIS is always taking him to places where he's needed. Okay. And so over his kind of, you know, lives, maybe he becomes more used to this and that he is the kind of superhero that goes around. Does the TARDIS have a conscience or conscious? Yeah, well, yeah, it, it kind of does. I mean, there's an episode, a Matt Smith episode in which the TARDIS is given a body mm. um, played by Saran Jones, which is fantastic. But story. is is Saran written, Jones, by Neil, written by Neil Gaiman. Are you saying Saran Jones is fantastic or the idea of the TARDIS? The Saran Jones is fantastic okay. playing the TARDIS, yeah, okay. yeah. But it, 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 was it introduced in the Peter Davidson era, though, that the TARDIS probably has its own will? It's one of those things that's always sort of been sort of understood. I mean, it's been made more explicit now in the new series, definitely. But there was always a sense that the TARDIS was sort of alive. Mm. You know, it had its own consciousness. And so it's a TARDIS that takes the Doctor where he needs to go. They've kind of mm. got a symbiotic relationship where... So could we say there's... Um, I mean, to, for more modern fans of, like, comic book uh, folklore, it's like an almost an Iron Man situation, like the suit and the man are one and the same and they can't be separated if to you survive. Say so. <laughs> well, that's the Tony Stark. That's Tony Iron Stark, Man is it? Identity. Oh, yeah. so he becomes Iron Man. What when? Well, basically, he's got this. Um, uh, there's a part of his heart that's grafted with a particular device, and it's okay. actually um, an, a magnet that's keeping the shrapnel away from his heart from stopping him from dying. But that is also the device that powers the suits that he puts on. So, okay, if he takes yeah, it out, so, it kind of does. Yeah, I mean, the Doctor needs his TARDIS. There's a great little bit in the latest series with Jodie Whittaker when she actually. Because when she regenerates, she's lost the TARDIS, and it wow. takes her an episode, a couple of episodes to find it. And okay. there's a great moment where she finds the TARDIS, and yeah. it's such a sweet little oh. moment. And um, yeah, they need each other, the Doctor and the TARDIS. Um, so anyway, going back to Peter Davison. So the last season of um, Tom Baker, so they brought in a whole new production team. They started moving out his companions. So before this point, the Doctor was travelling with another Time Lord called Romana, played by Lala Ward, who, who Tom Baker went on to marry, and then they divorced and she ended up marrying um, Richard Dawkins. So that's a pretty good ex-husband. Like there. a real oh, scientist. This is, this is real marriages and oh, yeah, drama going on outside yeah, yeah. of the well, Doctor Well, Lala Ward and Tom Baker fell in love when they were on, in Doctor Who. Wow. And there's an episode um, uh, set in Paris, which I gave you as a present a couple of years ago. Yeah. So you definitely know that story really well because you okay. must have watched it. <laughs> and it's set in Paris. Awkward. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, they fell in love there and so they, they got married before the end of Doctor Who and then Tom Baker and Lala Ward left. Then K9, who I didn't mention last episode. Yeah. K9, of course, the robot. Doctor. If you don't know K9 is, K9 is a robot dog yeah. who uh, this nation sort of fell in love with. He's the first character from Doctor Who to get his own spin-off series mm. called K9 and Company, which has the most hilarious um, title sequence of any TV show I can think of i mean what, what you should really google it canine and company what can a robot dog sequence? do in, in a title company? sequence it, no he, well he's with sarah jane one of the oh. tom baker's okay uh, tom baker's original companion all oh, right so anyway i haven't really got to peter davison yet and um so can we can we ask how did peter davison get recruited because there always seems to be an interesting story about why they selected particular actors to play particular doctors. Oh, i think john nathan turner takes over as the producer mm. in Tom Baker's last season. And so he um, it, it, he uh, 
Yeah, like I was saying, he so he, all the um, old um, they're going for a younger demographic. So the, the, um, they they take out Romano, take out K nine, and they bring in Adric, who's like um uh, uh alien um maths genius, and really really annoying. They they bring in Nissa, who's kind of she's also a kind of teenager schoolgirl, and they also bring in Tegan, who's a Australian hair air hostess. I remember kind who of always wore her costume for some reason. Well, she did for the first season, and then her, she ends up. Actually, there's a story, uh, Resurrection of the Daleks, where she's basically dressed as a prostitute. And I mean, you really can't. <laughs> I mean, that is what she looks didn't like. Didn't it, like, the show actually caught some flack for objectifying women at this point? Maybe didn't it? it did, yeah, yeah. She wore very short leather skirts at the end. And then there was Perry, dearie me. Yeah, we, we won't get quite to Perry yet. But anyway, um, yeah, so Peter Davison comes in. They're looking for a younger thing. It's the first time we've had three people in the TARDIS with the Doctor since the first Doctor. And um, uh, Christopher Bidmead, who's now the producer, he wants to get away from this kind of, from the, what, the, the, the overtly humorous way that the fourth Doctor's era was going. So they kind of get into more kind of science stories. But they also, there's stories like um, Kinder, which is a sort of um, a Buddhist parable um, starring Richard Todd, who's quite a famous actor from the 40s and 50s. Um, so they're playing um, this... It's about uh, uh, Tegan, the Doctor's companion, the Australian air hostess. Her mind gets infected by an evil kind of snake god. And there's some brilliantly abstract scenes where we see what's happening inside Tegan's mind as this, um, as this snake god takes over her mind. And it's a fantastic story, and... Um, um, people criticised John Nathan Turner's tenure because uh, he was more of a showman. He he wanted like kind of big name guest stars, you know, because in in that decade you get people like Ken Dodd and Nicholas Parsons, um, you know, appearing in Doctor Who. And but there are some genuinely brilliant stories in there, like um, Kinder. But anyway, a lot of Doctor Who fans now are kind of against Doctor Who. This is where the start of the eighties. It kind of becomes a big split in Doctor Who fans. And some of them just hate John Nathan Turner, just want him out. Um, uh, and it, it becomes quite detrimental to the show because over the course of Peter Davison's um, tenure, but even more so with his successor, Colin Baker, you find that fans are infiltrating the production office and that fans are getting their ideas onto the show and, and they're dictating the way the show is going. And people like John Nathan Turner are actually encouraging this. And it's all getting a bit incestuous and all, everyone wants Doctor Who like it used to be. I mean, the funny thing about Doctor Who fans is that they, they can never see... They, they don't seem to understand that Doctor Who has to evolve and change. It has to be a different programme. Each time it can't Isn't it by definition on. about change? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is. And, um, a lot so of that's fans one can't. message that seems to be going over the head of the Doctor Who fans. It does. It does. It, it, it surprises me because, I mean, Doctor Who has never stayed in the same kind of... Uh, style or you know same uh, concentration on different um well i mean look at the new series you had the russell t davis era which was um kind of a more f family orientated but kind of funny and a kind of you know more of a kind of buffy the vampire kind of aiming at the team market and then you had stephen moffat who was going for the kind of proper sci-fi proper fantasy fans properly going into doctor who's history and kind of 
using that. And then you've got now Chris Chibnall, he's made Doctor Who sort of like a social realism Doctor Who, where he's got rid of all the old monsters. It's not very, actually, that's sci-fi, you know, and it's more um, aimed at kind of older kind of family viewing because it's now on its Sunday Sunday um, tea time, so it has a more... My parents love it. My parents have never loved Doctor Who as much as the last season that was on with Jodie Whittaker. But um, anyway, so as the Peter Davison era, he did three seasons. Um, oh, sorry, Trevor? What I was going to say is, um, isn't it hard to be a Doctor Who fan because there's um, this kind of diminishing timeline for each of these new Doctors that come along and maybe some of the fans, they grow such an affinity towards... Well, you'll always remember doctors. your first Doctor. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Peter, I mean, that, Looking at Peter Davison, the way yeah. he's kind of come across... He is a kind of a broadly handsome man. He's probably like six foot tall, blonde hair, brown yeah. eyes. and he's wrote, wrote, pro- the, wrote the theme tune to Button Moon. Oh, wow. But yeah. he's probably the most handsome doctor there has been. So was this like the heartthrob? I think David Tennant is going to take you out for a fight. Yeah. But, this, but he's the first <laughs> heartthrob. I'd pay to watch that. Yeah. But isn't this the first heartthrob doctor? Surely. It, it kind of is, yeah. I mean, Tom Baker has a certain... I mean... John Pertwee when he's in his dashing, yeah. not when he's being a comedy performer. But yeah, I can see what you mean. Yeah, he's definitely with Peter Davison again for a younger viewership. Also, during Peter Davison's era, there was a big change in the um, in the fact that Doctor Who was no longer on Saturday um, tea times. Oh, wow. They decided to take it off and put it on Tuesday nights and Wednesday nights, um, which up against Coronation Street at the end, wow. which is kind of suicidal. The BBC never loved Doctor Who until the new series, and now they love it because it makes them money. But the old series, they were just waiting for any opportunity to cancel it. Well, it was um, Michael <laughs> Grade, wasn't it, um, who killed it off? That would yeah. be the next episode, yes, the okay. Colin Baker years. Okay. But yeah, so the Peter Davison years, they're kind of, they're some of my favourite years because this, Peter Davison was my doctor, in that I, he was the doctor when I started watching Doctor Who. I mean, I can vaguely remember Tom Baker I can remember the scary guy in the corner, and that's what got me into Doctor Who. But Peter Davison is the Doctor. Boy, and there's some fantastic stories. There's um, Kinder, there's um, Caves of Androzani, um, uh, Morgan Undead. Um, it goes a bit, bit off. It, it kind of, it's like um, there's, there's a certain amount of violence starts to creep into Doctor Who in the Davison era, which really comes to the fore in the Colin Baker years. Um, Peter Davison's last story is the Doctor Caves of Andrazani, the story in which only Perry, the companion, ends up alive at the end. Um, everyone's killed. It's about drugs and gun running. Um, and Eric Sayward, who was the script editor at the time, uh, he would go on. He would go on to through the Colin Baker years, and the violence got more and more. And this was one of the problems the BBC had with it. But the thing is, wasn't a uh Peter Davidson's era was not that taking us through like part of the this kind of um, this was the time when like Ronald Reagan was president and yeah, uh, yeah. Mikhail Gorbachev. So yeah, yeah. I mean, there was, was that kind of, of cold it was around video kind of, nasty hmm. kind of era too. So I mean, Doctor Who maybe it was just obvious that Doctor Who was going to get violent, but people didn't want that. I mean, Doctor Who is a children's show at heart, a family show maybe, hmm. but it is. And it shouldn't be. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to give some examples in the next episode, but in the Colin Baker era. Yeah. But um, there's some really big horror movies coming out around at this time, like Halloween, yeah, Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street, and yeah. uh, Friday the Thirteenth. Do you think that had an influence on the writers of what kind of story they're trying to tell? It might have done. I didn't. I think Eric Sayward was more interested in. The, 
he did, he, he he liked um kind of criminal characters. He liked writing villains. He liked you know coming up with black. You know, there's a lot of black humor in the Colin Baker years, which kind of feels out of place. It might be fine in a mm. kind of like in a program that's pitched at an an older audience, but it just doesn't seem right. I mean, one thing I've learned from what you said about uh, the Doctor Who series is this uh, idea that every episode is actually a part of a series, if it's its own mini-series. Yeah. And it seems like uh, Peter Davison kind of hits the ground running with like these uh, three- and four-parter episodes. All I mean, these stories are basically three- or four-parters. What would you say is like one of the best ones? Um, well, you got uh, Earthshock is worth pointing out. Earthshock... Um, although I, I talked about Adric briefly before, the alien uh, mathematician, um, Earthshock is the first Doctor Who story where a companion is really killed off. There have been a couple of uh, companions in William Hartnell era who were killed off, but they were killed off within the story in which they first appeared, so it's not really a kind of, it's more of a plot thing. Whereas, and has he got a male companion Ad, here or a female? Ad, yeah, he's got one male and two female companions okay. here. And this in this story... Um, Adric is at the end dies, and it, it was one of the most shocking things I remember from my childhood. Um, that there's no um, t- there's no um, title music at the end of that episode. Wow! It just fades up in silence with a picture. He had a, a silver um, badge for mathematical excellence, and it it just shows the badge, but it's oh. been crushed. Wow! And then it's silently the credits roll over the top, and it's a genuinely emotional moment. And genuinely, as a child, it was. That's pretty dark. I, I was pro- yeah, I was properly guided. Yeah. Even though Adric was really irritating. Um, do you <laughs> uh, one of the famous stories about Adric is that um, during the story Kinder, which I was telling you about, and, and the famous actor Richard Todd on it, who was a star of many like films in the 50s, 60s in Hollywood and Britain. And um, he, um, at, uh, Matthew Waterhouse, who played Adric, was only about 17, 18. Mm. And on the first day of shooting, he, he thought it was... He, he get, tried to give Richard Todd some acting advice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a man who'd been in the business for like 40, 30, 40 years, about a yeah. guy who'd been in it for like two months. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tom Baker had some things to say to Adric or Matthew Waterhouse, but I can't really repeat them okay. on this podcast. <laughs> you can use swearing if you if you have to go there. I don't like I mean, I've, uh, Matthew Waterhouse has been picked on a little bit over the years as okay. a kind of, you know, as the ultimate shit companion okay. but he's um you know he's a nice guy i think he just so yeah. he's the doctor who's yeah. punching bag yeah he's become like doctor who's punching bag okay. a little bit yeah yeah okay. definitely so i don't really want to go into it too much but going back to this thing about uh peter davidson having the first episode of a uh, assistant who died and this happened you watched this when you was young yeah, yeah. um how did your friends react? Is this some? This became a conversation in school. Did you talk about it? Or I don't remember. I oh, sorry, wasn't I mentioned. I, no, I didn't. I don't. Remember. Just complete blackout. Everyone in silence and just shocked. Maybe. I mean, you got to remember in the eight. I don't think Doctor Who was as vital to um kind of kids' consciousness as it was in the seventies and sixties. So I, I don't think Doctor Who was as um as watched as it was when we were kids. Um, so Peter Davison did, uh, he did three years, um, as a companion, oh, I missed, uh, he brought in this companion, Turlow, Turlow was a schoolboy, and this is quite a, a, a novel approach for Doctor Who, he was brought in in a, in a, in a, um, what's called it, a trilogy, a story, three stories about where 
he's been given a mission by a black guardian. It's kind of a godlike, um, um, godlike entity who who um, charges Turlo with killing the Doctor. So we have a free um, story trilogy called um, the Black Guardian trilogy, in which um, Turlo tries to kill the Doctor while also kind of liking the Doctor. So that's an, so inter- do we an see interesting any way super- to bring in a new companion. Do we see any like superhero powers on screen then? No, I mean you never really do in Doctor Who. Yeah, there's no, yeah, there's few superpowers. Because there's usually yeah. like some kind of exposition or kind of is it exposition that they usually rely on as opposed to special effects? It's actually it's a little bit silly, the whole Black Guardian trilogy. I mean, if this guy is so powerful, why does he need a 16 year old public school boy to carry out his plans? But um, it's an interesting way to try and bring in a new character, and then later on Perry. An American student is brought in and, and she bridges the gap between the fifth doctor and the sixth doctor, being there when he regenerates at the end of the caves of Androzani, his last word being Adric, to remember his fallen companion. And um I think that's about it. So, um let's talk about the music because um the original Doctor Who had a really eerie theme tune that was probably years ahead of its time. And in the 70s and early 80s, they started dicking around with the theme tune and turning it into a kind of tinny disco theme. I, what are really your liked, about I this? loved the tinny disco theme because it was my first Doctor Who theme. So it's the one that I always associate Doctor Who with. It's called the, it's the Peter Howell theme. Um, it's Peter Howell. Delia Derbyshire, the, the woman who... Uh, arranged and well, basically composed the um, the original theme tune. Hated it apparently, but it's, it just comes in. It's like a proper eighties power chord kind of. They made it uh, like slightly tune. higher, didn't they? They yeah, like yeah. took it up an octave, and then I think they took it up another octave, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. And um, I must say, I know I can see that it's kind of cheap and it's kind of easy, but I do love that that version of the theme tune. Although, I mean, and that carries on. Colin Baker has a different, slightly different version, which is which I'd say is much more tinier than that version. And then there's the Fest- Sylvester McCoy version, which is probably my least favourite theme tune ever. It was like reaching the yeah. kind of apotheosis by that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, And maybe the worst um, title sequence ever is Sylvester McCoy, I think. But the combination of the worst <laughs> title music and title sequence. It's a good job. I love his stories. Yeah, it was it was an interesting era. Well, come on, come on come to on that. To but it was it yeah. was an interesting time. We can say that. Um, by the way, while we're talking about music, I don't know if we're jumping ahead of each other. Um, what do you think of Murray Gold? Yeah, I, I mean, I no problem with him. I mean, I know he got a little bit of stick from the fans who thought he was a bit. I don't know. They got blamed for the music with being too loud, which I find it's not really his fault, is it? It's the mixing, surely. Yeah, that's the mixing. <laughs> and, um, Blame he, the sound he, recordist. He, he, he likes the big epic, um, you know, the big flourishes, the big... Um, and, yeah, I mean, his, his little themes for the characters are very memorable. I mean, they do get stuck in your head. But um, I'm also enjoying the new composer, who I wish I could remember his name off the top of my head. But I there's can't, a new, I brought it up. There is, yeah, there's a new guy who's um, come in for this season... Um, it's slightly more experimental, which is one of the things I've always enjoyed about Doctor Who's day over the years, different changes in, in the um, incidental music in Doctor Who. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, it's, and it's like, like now it's like, stay like, at the forefront. Yeah. I mean, at the beginning, um, the theme tune was at the forefront of electronic music. In the 80s, it was kind of using synthesizers at the same time as the music industry. And um, 
Yeah. yeah. I think uh, White Falcon's got a question about the music of Doctor Who. I don't know nothing about the Doctor Who. <laughs> I, I don't have a clue why is this, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> what, seriously? We're on to the fifth Doctor now. <laughs> so, have you ever heard of Peter Davison, the actor? No. Synthesizer music. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to say about um, the Peter Davison era of Doctor Who, was he seen as um, like a better actor than Tom Baker? At all. Or I don't, I don't know if seen as a better. I mean, he's a different doctor to the, to his predecessors, in that he's a little more naive and a little more innocent and a little more willing to see people's good sides than the, maybe the other doctors. Um, I've I've seen I read somewhere. I mean, there was someone who was talking about Jodie Whittaker and saying that perhaps the one thing she needs is that the doctor is actually a little bit of a psychopath and that she could be a bit more of a psychopath. Whereas I think Peter Davison played down that side of the Doctor, the sort of the, the mad side of him. The, um, I think some people said he was almost too human, didn't they? Yeah, 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 exactly. So, you know, and... They're not human. No, no, the Doctor's not a human. He's from a place <laughs> called Gallifrey, which is just what, east what, of what, what, do you, what do you do when I do these? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, what about your brain? He's fascinating. <laughs> Do you think like Cody's just introducing like a brand new person to us that we should be thinking about? But the um, the thing the thing I'm interested in about Doctor is like um, what would you say? I mean, it sounds like he's for me he looks like the handsome Doctor, but you would say that the key criteria or the key motif of Peter Davison's fifth Doctor is that he's the naive Doctor. Yeah, he's kind of seen. I mean, there's a novel which is based in the Doctor's brain in which the um. Uh, no, 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 no. There's a there's a novel in which the seventh and Sylvester McCoy and Peter Davison's fifth Doctor appear, mm. and they actually meet up within the story. Okay. And the seventh Doctor arranges for the fifth Doctor to get knocked out so he won't get in his way to try and <laughs> get, to try to complete his plan. So yeah. that's kind of a little bit of how he's seen. Is it is it possible to say that I mean in today's vernacular? that the fifth Doctor's a bit of a social justice warrior, perhaps. The Doctor's always been a social justice warrior, though. Yeah. Even the Tory-inclined John Pertwee, the third Doctor. Yeah, I've been thinking about yeah. that since you said yeah. it, and yeah. I've realised that if John Pertwee is a Tory, he'd be like an old-school Tory, yeah, like yeah. Ken Clark, not yeah. one of the new scary ones. No, no, uh, no. Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, the Doctor's always been a bit of a social justice warrior. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so... Thanks for summing up. No ab problem. About uh, the Fifth Doctor. We're really glad that you spent time to uh, tell us about that. So uh, we're bringing this episode to a close. I checked, I checked the, uh, the Hungarian uh, shows about the uh, uh, Doctor Who. And the um, I don't know what is in the new series. The, the new series, the first seven series was in Hungary. Okay. The okay. first seven series was in Hungary. The, f the new series, I don't know what does it mean. What's the Hungarian title? Kivaj Doki. This is almost the same, yeah. Kivaj Doki. Kivaj Doki. Kivaj Doki. As mean, who are you, doctor? Who are you, doctor? I think I like the episode. If I would like to see some, who are you, doctor? Okay. So thanks for summarising again, White Falcon. So we'd like to thank our presenter, Cody. Oh, cheers. Yeah, yeah. And no our co-hosts, 
White Falcon. Yeah, yeah, thanks guys. And King Dom. <laughs> Goodbye. Um, I've been your co-host, TJ, and you are listening to Geek Sweat. These are our end credits, so we invite you to subscribe as well. Geek Sweat is available on Castbox, iTunes, and Stitcher, and more recently, Player FM. You can download either app to listen to us. If you want to support the podcast by generating interview questions or being a guest, simply become a sponsor. Uh, please email film at instigateonline.com. Uh, we will have more in store. Feel free to rate and review us inside the podcast platform. If you don't have time, please tell a friend and we'll be ever so grateful. This podcast thrives on listeners, so thank you for sharing your ears. To show you we care, we, we watch films to, to save, save you hassle. hassle. Yes. And um, did anyone get the actual film quote for the end? Jaws. Well done. I didn't know that with Chucky didn't know it. No. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll give the points to uh, Kingdom and uh, Cody, but because Kingdom said it first. I think it was a tie. One. I think it was a dead You'll heat. have to pick up the quote for the next one. So, ciao for now. See you later, guys. Take care.